So my name's Abby, um, and it's my pleasure to be reading the Bible with you today. Um, today's Bible reading is from Jeremiah chapter 25, uh, verse 1 to 26. Oh, and if you don't have a Bible, um, a paper Bible, and would like a paper Bible, then raise your team and one of the... Uh, raise your hands, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Raise your hands and one of the host team will get to you. Before we begin, let me pray. Um, dear gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you that in your word, um, in every book there we see um, who you are and how you have saved us, Lord, and who Jesus is. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would please feed us and teach us um, from your word. I pray for Iggy, who's preaching, Lord, that you would please help him to preach faithfully, Lord, to preach Christ. And Lord, I um, ask that you would give us soft hearts um, and help us to put into practice, Lord, what we read. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, who, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years... From the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the lands the Lord gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the people of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and, and, and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it, Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a ruin and an object of horror and scorn, a curse, as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his attendants, his officials, and all his people, and all the foreign people there, all the kings of Uz, 
all the kings of the Philistines, those of Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the people left at Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all the kings of Tyre and Sidon, the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Turner, Buz, and all who are in distant places, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the foreign people who live in the wilderness, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, and Midia, and all the kings of the north, near and far, one after the other, all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. And after all of them, the king of Sheshach will drink it too. This is God's word. Thanks, Abby. Now, friends, um, I wonder if you uh, enjoyed hearing those stories of people's rebellion in their uh, young days as a child, um, or for the children here yesterday, um, what, what you probably just did at home. Uh, you know, it's, we've all been in trouble before. Um, I'm sure you've all been punished before, uh, whether that was as a child disobeying you know, your, your parents at home, or whether it's uh, with the law. Now, um, you know, who, who here has got some sort of violation, a traffic violation before? You know, hands up. I want to see. You liars. Come on. Everyone, everyone's, I know you. <laughs> I must confess, I've, I've gotten speeding tickets um, before. It's not a common thing. That's, that's true. Uh, but I have gotten them before. Um, and when you do get a traffic violation, something like that, um, it doesn't feel nice, does it? Like, it's not exactly, you know, your birthday when you get that in the mail. It's a terrible thing. Uh, you feel terrible about that, um, and you don't like it, do you, when you're getting you know, prosecuted by the law for something bad that you've done? Of course, no one likes that. We'd rather avoid it, but let me ask you this. Uh, what's the alternative? Yeah. Is, it, is it better that there is no consequences whatsoever, that we, as a society, could just do whatever we wanted and we'd never get in trouble for it, no matter what it was? No punishment, no judgment... Um, friends, today we're going to look at a book uh, from the Old Testament called Jeremiah and look at the topic of a God who judges. We have a God who judges. It's not a popular topic. It's not something that we like to talk about a lot, but it really, really matters. We have to grapple with this. We have to really see what the Bible has to say about this because if we don't get this right, let me tell you, if we don't get this right, then we actually have a diminished view of who our God is. We're not actually seeing our God rightly. And it also means that we have a diminished view of our salvation. So this is actually really important, this topic that we're looking at today from Jeremiah. So let me just set the scene for you as we jump into this mini-series um, of three weeks in Jeremiah. Uh, here's a Bible timeline coming up on the page. And I just found a new feature on my pointer. Look at this, the laser pointer on this. I feel like very professional now. So um, this is a bit of a, uh, just a, a timeline of our his- the biblical history, just to situate where Jeremiah is at. Um, so uh, we're... Jeremiah is around this area here, but just happen, what's just happened before is um, obviously world's been created, uh, there's been sin uh, here where Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, the world's fallen into chaos, God's given the promises to the patriarchs, which means the fathers of Israel here, the promises of restoration, um, and this is huge here, the exodus, uh, but Israel, his people get enslaved in Egypt Uh, God saves them, redeems them, brings them out to the promised land of Canaan. The kingdom's established. The kingdom starts going up and up, and we start thinking this must be the fulfillment of all God's promises. You know, King David, uh, Solomon, this beautiful kingdom um, that God has established here. Maybe everything's coming true right now, but we see that it doesn't work 
because what happens? Human sin means the divide of the kingdom here. Yeah? To the north, Israel, and south, Judah. And this is actually the, the area that we see Jeremiah actually prophesying in. The southern kingdom, Judah, right? After the kingdom has split, things are in grave trouble because of the sin of the people. That's the situation that we're in right now. And we're going to particularly look at these events setting up for the eventual exile of God's people out of the promised land, away from the promise, the judgment for their sin, right? So getting a grasp of Old Testament biblical history is actually really important for us to situate what's actually going on here. Um, And it's not just a historical account. You'll see that it's a theological account of how God's working as you see the kingdom of God actually developing, progressing, and changing from the top there, yeah? Okay? So that's super quick, but just to situate where we're at. Um, We're actually looking at Jeremiah. It's around 626 BC, okay? Uh, He's a messenger of God, a prophet, and he's a young guy, probably about 19 years old. Um, He gets called to a heavy task. God calls him to a commission here. I'll put it up on the screen. Jeremiah 1, verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you to overthrow, to, o- to overthrow nations and kingdoms, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. All right? And this is a summary of the message of the book of Jeremiah. It's a message of, on one hand, tearing down, destroying, overthrowing, but also, on the other hand, building and planting. Do you see that contrast? Destruction and restoration, that's his message. Judgment and hope, that's his message. And he brings this message to God's people, uh, the nation of Judah, over and over and over again. If you read through Jeremiah, through the most severe persecution, he's beaten, he's jailed, uh, they get his scrolls, they tear them up and burn them, he's called a lie, he's thrown into a pit to just die. Jeremiah keeps getting persecuted for his message, but he faithfully keeps preaching it over and over and over. And in today's chapter, we pick it up actually 23 years into his ministry, 23 years into his hard ministry. And we're at our first point, which is this, the seriousness of sin, yeah? So have a look at uh, verse 2 with me uh, from Jeremiah 25 in your Bibles. If you don't have it, uh, then it's up on the screen. But have a look at verse 2 with me, follow along. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. I want you to just quickly note the first sin of God's people here. Did you see what the first sin of God's people is here? They did not listen. They did not listen to God. Um, I don't know if you've ever been ignored before. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? Treated like you don't exist, uh, completely disregarded. It's very disrespectful. It makes us upset, doesn't it? Imagine how God feels. His people over and over and over and over again, just ignoring him, completely ignoring him. But the sin gets much worse. Hear the message that's ignored. So verse 5, hear the message that's ignored. They said, Turn now, each of you, this is the prophets talking, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you, 
and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. The words here uh, take us back to Deuteronomy, right, which is around the time of when um, they were entering the promised land, when God's people first entered a wonderful land full of blessing and abundance, right? God's brought them to the promised land. And God told his people, this is all yours. This is my gift to you. Here's a, my gracious gift to you. If you will just obey my good commands, okay? You will continue to be blessed here. Yeah, I'm going to give you this, but just keep obeying and listening to me. You'll, you'll continue to be blessed. And central to this obedience to God in the promised land way back then uh, is what verse 6 outlines. Did you see what verse 6 says? Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. It's a simple thing, isn't it, in one sense? God is the one that saved them, done everything for them, created them. He is their God. He's rescued them. They've seen that over and over. There's no doubt about that. And all he's asking is that you just love me as your God alone. All right? Don't follow false gods. But this is exactly the sin that they fall into over and over again. They fail at this. And this sin is horrendous. It's horrendous. Let me take you to Jeremiah 19. It's coming up on the screen. Verse 4 to 5. As a description of what God's people are falling into. Look, look just... Have a look at this. Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah have ever known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind." Did you see what God's people are doing? Do you see what they're doing? God's people have degenerated from being his people into worshipping other gods and following their practices. They've even degenerated into burning their own children in the fire to false gods. That's what it says. They're literally burning their children up as burnt sacrifices to other gods. What abhorrent evil. How could they do this? How did it... How did it get to this, that they're burning children to gods that don't exist? But here's the thing. This isn't the worst thing about their sin. This isn't even the worst. This is just the symptom of a deeper problem for God's people. The worst thing is actually in verse 4. Because they have forsaken me. Because they have forsaken me. That's what God says. God's people have abandoned him. They've abandoned him. They've decided they don't love him anymore. They don't need him anymore. Stay out of my life, God. Get out of here. I don't... They leave him. They're leaving God. And they're going to chase other gods. Now imagine if I stepped up here and I told you after... Um, you know, being married to Lee Ching for 12 years now, and she's been a wonderful wife. Uh, she's loved me. Uh, she's really cared for me. She's been very good to me. You know, the best wife I could ever ask for. But uh, let's let's be honest. I'm getting a little bit bored. You know, so I think I'm, I might move on. Um, I want to try something new. I might jump on Tinder to see, you know, who I can hook up with. Um, maybe I'll be 
maybe I'll visit a brothel. Maybe I'll see a prostitute. Um, because I want to follow my heart. I think that feels a little bit better. Yeah? I wonder how you'd feel if I made that announcement on stage next week. Yeah. It's a shocking thing to say. Right? To be honest, even when I was like, thinking about this illustration writing, it made me sick just to think about it, to be, all, to be honest with you. And I think we'd all say that's a shocking, terrible thing for a husband to be so unfaithful. But this is how God's people treated him. This is exactly how they treated him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. Because God to his people. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds, and you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. This is a picture of utter, repulsive unfaithfulness to God. It's even worse than what I illustrated before, actually, but because did you notice? God's people are becoming a prostitute. They're literally laying themselves out and saying to every false god, come on, you can have your way with me. Jumping into bed with every idol that they can find, seeking pleasure, whatever they want to do. Can you imagine how this makes God feel? Can you imagine his beloved bride that he's given everything for to save, prostituting herself to every other false god, every nation? This is the God who freed his people from slavery in Egypt, who has been patiently guiding his people through the desert, even as they've complained, who has led them to the promised land and given them blessing after blessing after blessing, yet they have broken this covenant, this marriage covenant, this special relationship of God and his people. They've betrayed him. It's like a wife ripping up, ripping up, her vows in front of her husband's face, throwing them into his face and then walking out the door with another man. That's God's people to him. This is what sin is like to God. This is like what it's like when we love other things or per people more than God. When we worship, we chase the pleasures of other things of this world more than God. When we make idols out of the things of this world instead of delighting in our God and devoting ourselves to Him. This is what it's like to God. I wonder if you've ever realized this. Sin is serious, friends. It is deadly serious. And rightly so. God is angry at the unfaithfulness of His people. He's angry. And that's our next point, the anger of God, the anger of God. Uh, let me pick it up from verse 7. Have a look at verse 7 in the Bible, so if you've got to open. Otherwise, it's coming up on the screen. Jeremiah 25, verse 7. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. I'm going on, verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I'll completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. 
This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. You need to understand something. This is God's anger coming, but God's anger is not an immature, rash reaction to things, right? It's not because he can't self-regulate his emotions that God's acting like this. He's been patiently waiting for his people for 23 years to respond and repent, holding out his patient mercy to them. But they don't. Now it's too late. Judgment's confirmed, and it will come, and it will come through the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, um, he ruled from 605 to 562 BC, um, according to the historical accounts. He's the second and the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire, which was the superpower of the region, all right, after the decline of Assyria. So Assyria, which was also um, in the biblical accounts, uh, was the superpower. Babylon, Babylon came after that and completely des- des- you know, dominated all the nations around them. According to the uh, encyclopedic, encyclopedia, do you remember those things, encyclopedias, um, Britannica, um, he was known for his military might, the splendor of his capital, Babylon, beautiful city, Babylon, and also his crucial role in Jewish history. And here we see that. We see that Nebuchadnezzar, this foreign king, becomes God's instrument of judgment on his rebellious people. In fact, God calls him my servant in verse 9. Did you notice that? He's called my servant, yeah? Um, Does this mean that he worshipped the God of Israel? Does this mean Babylon, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a believer? No, he was a violent, evil man. But even this teaches us something, that God can even use the plans of evil men for his good purposes, that God is never out of control, even when everything seems to be. And his plan right here is to judge evil. And Nebuchadnezzar is used to do that. Jeremiah 25, verse 15. Have a look at verse 15 with me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. This is uh, God to Jeremiah. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I'll send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a ruin and an object of horror and scorn, a curse as they are today. The picture here is of a cup overflowing with God's wrath, God's anger. This is a symbol of judgment. A picture of poisoned wine that when you drink it will cause you to go mad, will cause you to go uh, to be drunk and crazy. That this is what it will be like when the sword of Babylon comes and falls on Judah and lays waste to their city. The judgment will continue too to the surrounding nations, as you heard in the Bible reading. Uh, It's not just Judah; it's all the surrounding nations. Even Babylon itself will be judged later on because they too have sinned. God is the God of all nations. And the chapter ends with a very bleak picture. Let's jump forward to 25, verse 32. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. At that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere. From one end of the earth to the other, they will not be mourned or gathered up or burned, but will be like dung lying on the ground. 
Weep and wail, you shepherds. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock, for your time to be slaughtered has come. You will fall like the best of the rams. The shepherds will have nowhere to flee. The leaders of the flock, no place to escape. Hear the cry of the shepherds, the wailing of the leaders of the flock, for the Lord is destroying their pasture. The peaceful meadows will be laid waste because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he will leave his lair and the land will become desolate because of the sword of the oppressor, because of the Lord's fierce anger. History records that in 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar marched from Babylon with his army and he decimates Judah. The final chapter of Jeremiah outlines this in detail. He drags off the people from the promised land and into exile. He conquers all the nations surrounding them, bringing death and destruction everywhere he goes. This is the reality of what happened. And it's not nice, is it? It's not a feel-good thing to hear, is it? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Um, some people assert that the Bible is you know, just a simply a man-made book you know, to, I don't know, manipulate people. Some, hum- some, some people wanted to create a religion. To If you were creating a religion, would you include these stories in there? Yeah? Would, would this be, wouldn't you leave this bit out? It's not exactly content that wins people's hearts, is it? You know, wins them to, to your religion, is it? But this is here, because this is God's word. This is the reality that he's put before us, and there is truth here. Let us not be ashamed of this. We need to learn from this and see two things especially I want to point out about who God is today. The first is this, God is just. You might be here today in this room, and you are uncomfortable with this doctrine the doctrine of a God that does judge, a God that gets angry about sin, a God that punishes wrongdoing. But what sort of God would he be if he didn't do that? Imagine if you're sitting in a courtroom uh, watching the trial of a murderer, someone who uh, murdered someone that you loved, someone close to you, and they're on trial, the judge is here watching, and uh, as the trial goes on, the evidence is irrefutable. You can't deny it. There's, you know, there's video footage of them caught in the act. Uh, this criminal has even admitted, yeah, I did, the, I did it. I'm guilty. Um, and then it comes down to sentencing. And you're waiting there for the judge to pass down the sentence. And then he speaks and he says, it's okay, you can go free. Don't worry about it. I'll let you go this time. Because I love you. Off you go. How would you feel in that situation. I doubt any of us would be sitting in that courtroom going, oh, what a wonderful judge. That's a lovely judge. What a good judge. Because that's not a good judge. A good judge brings justice. A good judge does what is right. A good judge does what is in accord to that, his holy, good, just character. And that's our God, right? We all know that a good judge brings justice. Otherwise, what are they there for? We love justice. We're people, we're humans. We, th- we, we desire justice everywhere we go. And when that value's transgressed, that's, that's one of the worst things for us. So a good God needs to judge. Friends, the fact that God judges evil doesn't mean that he's evil. It's quite the opposite. It shows that he's good. It shows that he's just. 
God is just. That's the first thing we need to see. The second thing we need to see is this, God is fearsome. What I, what I was really struck by in this passage as I read it is, uh, is this fearsome picture of God that it gives us. Uh, let me show you from verse 30. You can have a look at verse 30 in uh, your Bibles if you've got it, but otherwise it's on the screen. Verse 30. All right? Look at this picture of God. The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes, shout against all who live on the earth. The, t- the tumult will result, resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. Like a dreadful warrior coming down from heaven is this picture of our God. A dreadful warrior descending to bring destruction and death to all who stand against him. I wonder how often we think of our God like that. I wonder if we've ever thought of our God like that before. Friends, our God is not a safe little fluffy kitty cat God, all right? The picture of verse 38 that we read before tells us this. He's a roaring lion, full of fierce anger. That if you provoke him to anger like the nations of Judah, then you will be slaughtered. You will not stand against the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. This is our God. This is our God. And maybe this is a little bit unsettling for you to hear. Some people get around this uncomfortable feeling by saying, this is the God of the Old Testament, but now our God's a different God because it's New Testament, New Testament God. Uh, he's, he's a loving God, full of love. That's wrong, just utterly wrong. God is God. He's unchanging. He's eternal. This is who he is. And if you have chosen, and if we have chosen to love the things of this world, to make idols of pleasure, to worship ourselves as the king. If we have not devoted ourselves to him, it's still the same outcome. We will be destroyed. Our destination is hell and eternal judgment because our God is fearsome. He is not to be trifled with. But we can be very thankful this is not all he is. This is our final point, the mercy of God. Many centuries later, a man weeps in the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he is in anguish. Let me read to you from Mark 14. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. If possible, take this cup from me, yet not what I, what I will, but what you will. The cup of God's wrath the cup of God's anger that Judah drank from is the same cup that we deserve. Sinful, rebellious, selfish people, unfaithful to God, we deserve that cup. 
but it is Jesus Christ that steps into our place and drains that cup dry, drains that poison cup dry in our place. He drinks the judgment meant for us every single last drop. God is a just God that needs to punish. But who could have ever imagined that he'll step in and take that punishment in our place for us instead? I think we often talk about Jesus going to the cross in a bit of a cold, detached sort of way. Oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, he died on the cross, yep, yep. But we forget the sheer horror of what it meant for Jesus. Beaten to a bloody pulp, nailed to a cross, naked in shame, scorned, spat on by all those around him, but that's not the worst of it. His own father pours out the full force of his anger upon him. The punishments of the sins of the entire world focused on him, our sins, you and me, cutting into Jesus. That's where the pain is. And the thought of this pain is what overwhelms him in the garden that causes him to go, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But not what my will is, but yours. In the end, Jesus does go to the cross. He dies for us. And for Jesus to die is no small thing. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It is only because of what Christ has done, friends, I want us to know this today, that we can stand in the face of a fearsome God, that we have any hope at all. The punishment has been paid for. The judgment is done. The cup is empty now because of the mercy of God. Mercy. He didn't have to do this, but he did this for us. How shall we respond? Friends, this is one of those sermons today where I don't want you to go away and, you know, uh, have to do 10 practical things next week. All I want for you is to behold Jesus again and to remember what he has done for you and to realize the magnitude of his sacrifice. If you're anything like me, I take it for granted every single day, every day. I want you to look at the cross. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a believer here today, I want you to look at the cross, to look at Jesus Um, And I want you to be thankful for the mercy that you've been given. If you haven't come to Jesus yet and you're with us, it's so good that you're with us to hear um, this good news. I want you to look at Jesus and realize the mercy you can have, the mercy you need to have, because we're all sinners who face the judgment of a fearsome God, no matter how good we may think we are. We've seen today that sin is serious, that judgment's horrific, But think of this, judgment is a dark background that makes the light of the mercy of God shine ever more brightly. Look at Jesus. Remember what he's done. Jesus has absorbed all the judgment we deserve and we can now be forgiven. And look at Jesus and realize that this is only really good news when you realize how desperate our situation is without him, under judgment without any of our hope, without any hope. And give thanks that because of Jesus, the God who is fearsome is now not our enemy, but our Father, and he protects us. Look at Jesus, trust in him, and give thanks for the mercy that he gives. Let me pray.
Father God, we're just so thankful that despite us being so unworthy, being sinners who constantly fail, we know in our hearts they convict us. We, we're always doing things that we don't want to do. You've shown us incredible mercy, incredible grace through your son Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you that that fearsome judgment that was meant for us has been taken by Jesus Christ, who has drank deeply of that cup. So there's nothing left for us to suffer anymore. Help us be thankful of that. Help us to give thanks for that. Help us keep trusting in the only one who can save us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Friends, let's take a minute to reflect. Uh, Maybe you want to pray quietly in your hearts now.